This Week at Hope Point. Every law of God that you've ever broken, He paid for that with His blood. Every moment you lived in rebellion, He paid for that with His suffering. He paid it all. So that today, if you say, oh, I really blew it this week, I blew it yesterday, I blew it this morning, it can all be covered, cleansed, forgiven, erased now, because He paid it all. We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, follow Christ, and live on mission. Let's listen to what Richard has to say to us from God's holy word. For by faith, we understand that the universe was formed by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. For he spoke, and it came to be, and he commanded, and it stood firm. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and He separated the light from the darkness. And the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Oh, send forth your light and your truth, and let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, unto the place where you dwell. And thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. And the unfolding of thy words gives light. And this is the message we heard from Jesus and declare to you, that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has made His light to shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. For Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life, because in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. For with thee is the fountain of life, and in thy light we see light. For God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins so that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Our God <clears throat> is a speaking God. The reason that you love that video is not because of the music and the beautiful scenery, but because every single word that the narrator spoke was a verse of Scripture found somewhere in the Bible. We love the Bible because it reminds us that our God is a speaking God, and He's always had a word for His people. He instructed Adam and Eve. He spoke to Moses from a burning bush. He spoke to Israel from a burning mountain. Through the years, He directed His people. He told 
through Joshua how to get to a new land. He told the people through Isaiah how do you repent. Even when he wrote the Ten Commandments and gave them to Moses, he, he wrote them, recorded them on stone tablets so that people might have a written record of the voice of God. And through the centuries, mankind has often tried to avoid the speaking voice of God by creating idols. And we see Elijah on the top of Mount Carmel battling against 450 worshipers of idols. And this time they wanted their God to speak, but their God was not a living God. So they cut themselves and they danced in a frenzy, but their God's didn't speak because their God wasn't alive. And then Elijah's God spoke by fire and spoke by voice because he was the living God. And our God is a speaking, a speaking God. The question really has never been, uh, is, is there a speaking God, but does God have a listening people? We, um, you know, even after the people of Israel rebelled against God and were living in exile, God sent Ezra, the prophet, and Nehemiah, the, the city builder. And there Ezra, Ezra on a raised platform like this opened the word of God and spoke to the people because God is a speaking God. You know, you don't come to church on Sunday morning wondering if God will speak or hoping will God speak. You're here because he's already spoken. This is why you're here. Because he's already drawn you by his speaking voice. Our God is a, a speaking God like no other God on earth. And because the words of God are so vital for life, God has sent men throughout the ages to record the words of God in the Bible. And the reason that we love the scriptures is because it is a record, a written record of the speaking voice of God. And then in that very sacred time in life, 2,000 years ago, in the fullest possible way, God did speak to man in the most clear way, not through written word, but when the written word became a living word among the most sacred books or passages of the Bible. John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, has, has made him known. The purpose of the book of John, especially chapter 1, is to introduce us to Jesus Christ. But it's interesting, in this passage, at the beginning, he doesn't call him Jesus. He calls him, and he, unlike any other gospel writer, he doesn't start with the birth of Christ on earth. He takes us all the way back to the beginning of time. And there we meet Jesus, except that's not his name in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And through him all things were made. And without him nothing was made that has been made. So you can see in this particular passage, he doesn't call him Jesus, but he calls him Word or Greek phrase Logos. Because that's what everybody in Greek culture referred to this creative power that brought the world into existence. The Greeks already knew this concept of logos, this great communication. They didn't know who he was. They just knew there was an intelligent designer. If you uh, study most scientists today, almost all scientists today believe in intelligent design. They may not be in agreement of who the designer is, but almost everybody 
believes in intelligent design, and so did the people, the Greeks of the first century. They knew there was a logos that was responsible for all the power that created the world. So when John wrote his gospel, he, he said, you're right, there is a logos. There is a word, there's a creative, intelligent force, and he's personal, and I have come to tell you about him. Everything that exists today in the world that is virtuous exists because of the Logos, the Word. Do you understand? If the Logos, the Word, quit speaking, the world would cease to be. If the Logos quit speaking, you in this moment would cease to be. Your arms move and your legs walk because of the Logos sustaining you even as you're listening to me, it's always been a privilege every time I'm in one of these in the beginning passages, whether it's here or Genesis 1, to talk about the power of the Logos, the power of God's creative word. When you think about the Logos, you need to think like God the Father is like the architect. The Logos is like the engineer who actually brought the Father's imagination into being. And this is how powerful the Logos is. You could take, for example... The creation of, of the galaxies, just in case you have forgotten that little lesson from science, we live in the Milky Way galaxy. You probably have forgotten this, though. In the Milky Way galaxy alone, there are 100 billion stars in our galaxy. Now, one of those stars, one of the 100 billion stars, is called the sun. It's just one of 100 billion stars, and as you know, we revolve around it on planet Earth with the other planets, and that's called the solar system. Now, if you want to know how big the Milky Way is, think about it in this way. Uh, the sun, with the planets revolving around it, is our solar system, is traveling through the Milky Way at 515,000 miles per hour. If you felt like you're sort of moving fast today, we are. For it to make one loop around the Milky Way would take 230 million years. And that's just one galaxy. And there are 100 billion other galaxies. And all of them were created by the Word, the Logos, by His power, by His voice. I love how the beginning of the Bible talks about the creation <clears throat> of uh, the universe. Uh, it's very concise in its language. We love Genesis 1-4 because there was, you know, there's nothing but darkness and all of a sudden you hear those voice of God. Let there be light, which we know in John 1 now, that's the Logos doing that. That's the, that's the Logos. But in Hebrew, uh, word efficiency is everything. And so instead of four words, let there be light. <clears throat> it's just two words and primarily one is the Greek uh, Hebrew word be. That's what the Logos said. There was light. be, or you could translate it happen, occur, exist. So everything that you read, all of the account of the different parts of creation in Genesis, they're all preceded by be, be light. And there was light. It's very powerful word. Everything is created by this voice, this logos from starry skies to grassy fields, 
from snow-covered mountains to white-capped oceans, from awesome angels to industrious ants, from soaring eagles to leaping deer, from towering redwoods to tender roses, from powerful thunder to gentle heartbeats, from irrigating rivers to circulating blood, from simple amoebas to complex brains, from one single cell to eight billion humans, from absolutely nothing to a hundred billion galaxies. The Word created it all. As the songwriter said in the late 1980s, our God is an awesome God. Now, I have rebuked you before for an overuse, or I should say a misuse, of the word awesome. The breadsticks at Olive Garden are delicious, but they're not awesome. Creating a hundred billion galaxies from nothing, that's awesome. Creating a sun that drove away last evening's darkness and flooding us with light today, that's awesome. Not breadsticks. The Logos is is awesome. So the first purpose of the book of John is to tell us how awesome is the voice of God, the voice of the Logos, the engineer who brought about the architect's plans. But John keeps writing in, in his first chapter to tell us that the most awesome thing about the Logos is not his power, but his nearness. John 1.14, a breathtaking verse. The Word, Logos, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It's interesting. The mighty engineer who spoke everything into being is now a human being. It takes my breath away. You know, <clears throat> the book of Revelation says there are just give or take a million or 10. There are about a hundred million angels. So you can imagine in this scene in Genesis 1 or whenever you want to date it, 6,000 years, 13 million years, it doesn't matter. That moment in life where after Jesus Christ created these 100 million angels, And all of these angels are surrounding the throne of God and the Father is on the throne and the Logos is on the throne, the Word. And all of these angels created by the Word watch as the Logos steps off the throne, takes off his crown, takes off his robes of glory, descends from heaven into the womb of a virgin named Mary, is born as a little baby, and then dresses himself in the common clothing of the peasants of Galilee. The Word became flesh. So that causes us to ask a couple questions. Why did the Word do that? Why did the Word become flesh? Or why did the Son of God become human? John provides us with two answers. Number one, so that we would know exactly 
what God is like. That's why he came here. John 1, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one's ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Now, this verse is a preacher's delight because I get to teach you some Greek. So my favorite part of, of this verse, verse 18, is that phrase, uh, made himself known. Again, you know, a lot of words in Greek, one, I mean in English, one word in Greek, exegosito, from which we get our word exegesis. I'm I went to seminary to learn how to write sermons, and the way you write sermons is by, it's called an exegesis, which means you study a passage, and you read it, look at it, think about it, meditate on it, read other commentaries on it, and that whole process is called an exegesis, and the word exegesis really means to explain. So you say, Richard, what'd you do all this week? Well, I studied John 1 so I could exegete it to you, explain it, make it more clear. And this is what the Bible said, the word, why did Jesus become flesh? So he could exegete, explain, make more clear, who is this one called, called God? So Jesus came to earth that we might perfectly know the truth about God. So God has told us truth in a number of ways, but two of the clearest ways, through the written word, we know the truth about God. And now, through Jesus, the living word, we know what God is like. In other words, there is no reason in the world that we would ever be confused about how to honor God how to obey him, how to serve him. I wonder what God wants. Well, we know it twice. The written word told us and then the living word told us. But like you, you, you know your life, your heart. There are numerous times in life where even though the truth of God has clearly been revealed to me, I don't live out that truth. Instead, I reject it, rebel against it. Call it sin, iniquity, We're all guilty of it. John chapter 3 says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So nobody has ever sinned because they were confused about what to do. They just loved darkness over God. They loved a lie over truth. Well, what does God do for people like that? When, when he goes to all this trouble with the written word and the living word to tell you what is true and you reject it, what does he do? Well, the Bible says we're deserving of judgment, of condemnation, but Jesus came to tell us that's not what God wants to give us. While the Bible says in John 1, 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So through the law, through Moses, God said, This is what I love. These are the commandments. These are my moral values. This is how I want everybody to live. And this is what happens if you don't live this way. 
you are judged. And then so God could fully, more fully explain his heart, he sent Jesus Christ to tell us, I'm not just a God who loves truth, I'm a God who loves grace for those who violate the truth. Those who disregard my truth. I want to give grace after truth has been rejected. But if you don't read the rest of John chapter 1, you'll not think very highly of this grace, this forgiveness that's offered for truth breakers. Because that grace was enormously costly to give. John 1.29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, when you read in John chapter 1, that's actually a different John speaking. There was the gospel writer John. This guy is a preacher named, fuller title, John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist, who was a cousin of Jesus, when he saw Jesus, this John the Baptist said, He's a lamb who's going to take away the sin of the world. Look at the change from how the chapter started. It began with, he's a mighty word. And now he's a lamb who's going to take away. He's a word that created the world. Now he's a lamb that's going to take away sin. This is um, obviously a reference to Uh, the type of sacrifices that God in His written Word demanded in the Old Testament. When you sinned, you brought a lamb. Uh, The written Word tells us about that in Leviticus 4. If someone brings a lamb as their sin offering, they are to lay their hand on its head and slaughter it for a sin offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them for the sin they have committed and they will be forgiven. So now you understand that when John the Baptist looks and calls Jesus a lamb, he's thinking all the way back to Leviticus chapter 4 and he's thinking that this one, this Logos who became flesh, His blood will be shed for the forgiveness of the world's sin. Because that's how you get grace. God just doesn't give you grace by sprinkling pastor dust on you. That grace cost him his son. A few months ago, I borrowed Dylan's chainsaw and cut down a, a tree in my daughter's yard and in Columbia, in Lexington, and I I had a good worker with me that day to haul off as much of the wood as we could, my grandson Wells. I loved being a manly Todd Curry for a day. I even smelled like two-cycle. This is great. Well, we could get rid of all the wood, but there's no way I could get rid of that stump no matter how much I beat on it with axe, and just, it just laughed at that chainsaw. So a few months after that, I called a stump grinder, and he came with his, his $85,000 machine, and that, that stump was gone in about 30 minutes. <laughs> so I told the guy when he left, 
I said, you have taken care of my daughter. Thank you. You did a great job. You really served us with excellence today. I appreciate your work. And he said, well, I've tried to live my life by the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I just try to treat my customers like that, people like that. And in the end, I hope God will see all that I've tried to do. And he will accept me for me trying to live by the golden rule. He said, but you know, people may uh, believe differently and that's okay. So I looked at him and said, do you really mean that? It's okay if people believe differently than you? He said, yeah, man. I said, well, let me give you another slant to that. You said the standard for being accepted by God is that you, you treat others right. You treat them as if how they, you wanted them to treat you. He said, yep, it's golden rule. I said, that's a good rule. I said, do you say that you've always done that throughout your life? Always treated people thinking that you should treat them as good as yourself. Or he said, well, no, not all my life. I said, no, really, let's, let's say, how, how'd you do? Like a teenager. And he said, well, man, I lived for the devil when in my 20s. I said, so in your 20s, you didn't treat people like you wanted them to treat you. He said, heck no, man. He may have not said heck no, but heck no, man. <laughs> and I, then I told him when I was talking to him, I said, you need to understand what I'm getting at. I'm, I'm, I said, you, you, you're not going to understand this. I said, but everything I'm telling you, I want you to know, I have made more mistakes in life than you have. More times where I didn't live out the, the standard I knew. He said, you're right, pastor. I don't believe that. I said, well, that's okay. We're not going to argue about that. Just know there's no way I could get to heaven by the golden rule. No way. And, and nor, nor can you. I said, because you've got this big giant gap in your 20s where you missed your own standard for 10 years. What is God going to do with that? I said, you're guilty. 10 years of guilt. So I told him about this verse in John 1. I said, God is a God of truth. He tells us, but he's also a God of grace. Jesus Christ shed his blood to purchase the grace to cover your 20s. Everything you did in your 20s and 30s and 40s and the rest of your life that you don't even know is not up to standard. Jesus Christ died on a cross for all of the gap between truth and grace to be covered well, it wasn't a great presentation of the gospel. It's, it was called the stump grinder gospel. I was in a hurry. And he had to go to, matter of fact, he was just working next door. It was his, his, his next job. I wanted to honor his time, but I wanted him to understand what you to understand. Grace is costly. It's so costly. Jesus speaks truth. He lives truth. We rebel against truth. And in order for us to be forgiven of all the truth we rebelled against, Jesus died for the gap between what we know and what we do. All of it's covered by his blood. That's why we love celebrating the Lord's Supper. To thank Jesus for his truth revealing 
sin, his, his truth revealing life, and his sin cleansing death. Again, as we do the Lord's Supper in just a minute, we are thanking Jesus for his truth revealing life and his sin cleansing death. Lisa and I had a great um, time celebrating her birthday. You know, her birthday is June 29th, but I find out every year I forget. Her birthday is actually the month of June. It's just we keep celebrating it. So we've been celebrating a lot. She got rocking chairs. She's had numerous out to eat. It's all her birthday. Then she asked me a couple days ago, uh, can we spend a couple days with our friends, with some missionary friends that were home on, on stateside assignment. But we met this couple, Steve and Susan Booth. We met them back in 1983 when I was studying to do what I'm doing now, 40 years ago, uh, um, in Fort Worth, Texas at Southwestern Seminary. They started the same time we did. And they just were married. We were just married. And after 40 years, I mean, we've seen each other, you know, a number of times in between, but, but they've been all over the world as missionaries. Now they're serving in uh, a Baptist seminary in Calgary, uh, Canada, uh, both of them are teachers uh, in that school. Uh, Steve teaches a New Testament, and his wife, Susan, teaches Old Testament. And so we love to get together and praise God for the 40 years of grace that has carried us all, all the way from Eastern Europe, where they live now, to Canada. Well, Susan, just three years ago, had to admit her father into an assisted living home on the coast. He was a great builder of homes in Greenville, but even better than that, he was a great servant of God, a great steward of his, of his gains. And, but his mind began to slip. It wasn't safe for him to live alone. So they had to find a sister living home for him to live in with memory care. And so as he was going into the home, he told Susan, I know my memory is slipping, but I figured out 10 things I need to remember. And if I forget everything else, but remember these 10, life will be okay. And this is what he told her. The 10. Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe. Remember those 10 things, those 10 words. And I'll be okay. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. To tell him everything. I owe you for everything. All goodness came from you. Everything I ever enjoy that's virtuous came from you. All truth has been revealed from you. I owe you everything for truth. All the forgiveness for the times I disregarded your truth, all of that was purchased by your suffering. I owe you everything. Everything to him I, I owe. That's why we love to celebrate the grace of God through the Lord's Supper. Because he paid it all. This is the most wonderful news I could ever tell you. Because today is a brand new start for you and for me if you want it. Every law of God that you've ever broken, 
He paid for that with his blood. Every moment you lived in rebellion, he paid for that with his suffering. He paid it all. So that today, if you say, oh, I really blew it this week. I blew it yesterday. I blew it this morning. It can all be covered, cleansed, forgiven, erased now because he paid it all. And that's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. One more thing before we go into that precious time together. August 13th, 1727, great moment in church history. There was a community of believers in Hernhut, uh, what is now, they, it's now uh, Germany, but it was a village uh, there in, in Germany. And it was a collecting point of refugees that had been driven because of religious persecution from all parts of primarily what is now the Czech Republic, then Moravia. So they all gathered in this village that had been purchased by a guy named Nicholas von Zinzendorf. And they <clears throat> were living there. And even though they were all believers, they were different. Some were different languages, different ethnicities, different personalities, different cultures. <clears throat> and there wasn't harmony at Hernhut. So they began to pray and ask God. Well, on August 13, 17, 27, revival broke out. And they really call it the 100-year prayer meeting because of what God did from Hernhut. For the next 65 years, out of this little village, 300 missionaries were sent out to all the world. On October 18, 1732, a Dutch ship left Copenhagen for the Danish West Indies with two of these Moravian missionaries. Their names were John Dober and David Nitschman. They were going to, the, to not return willing to sell their life as slaves just to get into the West Indies. <clears throat> to work as slaves among a people of slaves, to share the gospel with slaves. And as they were leaving the harbor, they cried out this phrase that became the mantra for Hernut. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. He died for the world. So now we're going to go out so that he can get his reward of redeemed, forgiven people. So here's the question, the most important question you certainly can answer today. Jesus died so that he could inherit a forgiven and cleansed you, a submissive you, a law-loving, Christ-following Holiness seeking you. That's his reward. Does he have it? Does he have you? Does he have what he died for? You. Your heart. Does he have your heart? Does he have all of your mind, your heart, your strength, your body? Does he have your eyes? Does he have your hands? Does he have your body? Does he have you? This is a chance through the Lord's Supper. Jesus, I give you all of me. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.